This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast, our first post-game podcast of the 2020 season. You guys waited a long time for this opportunity to have a discussion uh, for Sean and I after a Penn State football game. Certainly didn't think it would end up like this. We have a ton to go over, Sean. Uh, We spent a lot of time talking before we hit the record button, just trying to figure out what we just watched because I'm looking through my notes that I was taking for post-game coverage for this podcast throughout the game. And so much of it seems irrelevant because of where this game turned and then where it turned again and then where it turned again. Your first point was right. We waited 10 months and this is what we got. And this is uh, this was not ideal. This was not an ideal from a Penn State performance standpoint. This was not ideal for a finishing standpoint, the, the end of the game, actually. So, yeah, we're, we're here. Penn State's 0-1, 36-35, a loss to Indiana on the road. And now you, you dug yourself a hole and... You know, you found, I think you found out quite a bit about this football team and not particularly great things about this football team. So we'll start at the end. Obviously, that's where everybody's going to, you know, you, you, you talk about these notes that you have throughout the game. And I mean, we were talking about stuff that happened in the fourth quarter and you were just kind of spacing on it because it seemed irrelevant because of how the game ended. And to me, there's two things you got to do here. You got to separate the two main points. You got to say, hey, Penn State, didn't deserve to win this game. I mean, they, they were in a spot to win this game. They, they, you know, for, to, to their credit, they showed some resiliency. They bounced back. They had the lead, but the way that they played this entire game was just not, not good, not good. So that was in every facet. And, and that's really, that's really concerning when you take it. It's not just one thing that's holding you back. And, and the other thing is I've been talking about this Indiana team for a while now. Indiana wasn't particularly good either. And that's, you know, they, they made the plays when they had to at the end. Um, but uh, I think that's that's certainly concerning the way that they came out uh, with Penn State with, you know, zero, zero and zero this week, zero and zero this year. And they didn't respond the way that we thought they would. And, you know, they didn't really hit uh, uh, count, punch, counter punch the way that we thought they would. Now, you go to the second part. That ball's out of bounds. I mean, it, it seemed fairly clear, clear enough, I thought. And, um, you know, obviously, if you're listening to us, you watch the game, uh, you know that Michael Penix went for the pylon. Uh, I mean, it it seems like fairly obvious to me that that should have been something that was overturned. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And people are like, you guys buried the lead. It took you two full minutes to get to this. But, you know, we just spoke with James Franklin. We just spoke with several players. None of them were touching this, expanding on it. Uh, Franklin basically said that we had a better vantage point than he had to that point when he was in the press conference. And Pat Fryermuth essentially did, I'm not touching this one, but you could get the sense of where he was coming from. And um, I'd imagine by now they've all seen that replay over and over. And, and, and you're sitting there watching it, and it's a long pause. And I mentioned to you this before, people that I have not spoken with in, in years about anything 
They know I cover Penn State football. They happen to be watching this football game. A lot of people probably tuned in because it was a hell of a game just for entertainment purposes from an outside perspective. And I was getting texts like left and right. Like, what do you think? It looked like the ball was down. And after all the replays, eventually I started pausing it with my own remote. And and I just saw, I was like, that looks for sure like the trajectory of this football was altered from the bottom of the ball before the rest of the ball knocked over that pylon. And, and you're thinking, man, that's just going to be a wretched way uh, for Indiana to get Delta defeat. What, what a brutal thing. And then they say the play stands, and it was shocking. You're not going to get any kind of explanation from the refs, from the officials in this point. Uh, they're not going to give that to James Franklin. They are heading to the locker room as soon as they possibly can after announcing something like that. And um, I will say I was surprised. I texted you and, and Mark Brennan. By the way, Mark holding down the, the fort for, on behalf of Lions 24-7 out in Bloomington tonight. But, you know, I texted you both. I said, I, I really thought I was about to write up a, a quick summary on Penn State, you know, surviving. And instead, uh, it's a stunning way to end a game that uh, just fell so short of expectations on behalf of Penn State. But at the same time, as you said, Fell short of expectations for what I anticipated from the Indiana Hoosiers, from what I thought Michael Penix would look like over the course of those quarters. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it it erased, it vanquished some really cool potential storylines, whether it's Parker Washington in his first college football game catching a touchdown, Sha- uh, Shaka Tony turning into Superman again at the end of the game against Indiana again. Um, and those are just kind of scattered to the wind, and we're left with a much different image of, of this this matchup. And it's useless to to sit here and harp on the officiating. I mean, it, there's, I mean, we could talk about a couple of things. You talk about Adisa Isaac's face mask there in the last drive that really was a, a really key play. Um, but it it usually doesn't lose you a game, except this one ended the game, and that's uh, that's something that's very very, I guess, out of character for a controversial call. Um, I mean, I guess you'll have that from time to time, but it, it's just. When it when it sways the entire course, not 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 the entire course of the game, but the entire outcome rests on that one call. That's pretty important. So I, I think they blew it. I mean, I think they. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't expect to hear anything from the Big Ten this week. But I mean, you look, and we've had hours to digest this. We've watched you know studio shows and everything like that. I think we're in we're in the majority here, right? I, I think so. I, I know we're in the majority if you include the audience of this particular podcast. That, that's for darn. That's for damn sure. But I think, you know, I, I think you're, you're right. I mean, harping on this, it, it, this is one of those things that I think people are going to look back years and years and years and say, you know, well, Penn State got screwed at the end there. But man, it, they should not have been in that spot. And, and I know that's that's kind of an out for the of, of maybe putting this one on the officials, but. There was a lot of points left on the board by Penn State today. Very uncharacteristic. This is a program that during the last five, six years, you know, consistently ranking among the top 20 to 30 programs in college football in terms of penalties. Uh, James Franklin said early this week that he was going to sleep soundly on Friday night because he truly felt like they put in a ton of work, maybe extra work than the average preseason because of the time they had leading up to this and because of all the Zoom meetings they had leading up to this. We did not see the step forward from this offensive attack from Sean Clifford. Uh, we did not see uh, the defense clamp down when it mattered most. And we saw a regression that was maybe more stunning than anything tonight from the special teams. Yeah, and when you lean on just 
having one play that determines what goes on or, or having a couple of plays that determine what you're goes on. You're not supposed on, to be in that situation. If you're on the right, road to Indiana, 40, and the Hoosiers are playing like this. When you're scoring 45 points a game or whatever, and, and your defense is, is doing well, you don't have to worry about those, you know, those pivotal plays going which way or the other. So you've got this call at the end of the game, but you back up a few minutes and you've got uh, a touchdown even <laughs> going against you, which you don't really, you know, you expect to say that sentence, but Devin Ford, I mean, it was really, I mean, it, let's be honest, it was funny to watch. You just, you saw him get the handoff and you could see that process going through where Indiana just opens up. The hole was, uh, you know, too good to be true, I guess it would be called. And he's sprinting. And then all of a sudden, you, about the five, you see him sort of try and put on the brakes and say, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. And then you see the reaction from the sideline, from the teammates, from everybody that was, you know, counting the math. And and Penn State, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a situation. You, it was 147 left in the game. Indiana's got a timeout. So you're not going to bleed the entire clock, but you're going to do enough where, you know, basically you put you, – you almost ice the game. And now all of a sudden you score. You give them a chance to come back. Uh, you're, you're up eight. Um, you know, it's just uh, – it, it, it's really – Interesting. And this one to me, and, and James Franklin talked about this afterward. It's on him. I mean, you, you, he said that he told Devin Ford, he told the offense about the particular situation. Um, they went over it before he went out there. Not well enough, apparently. I mean, you got to drill that in those guys' heads and, and that's on the head coach. And that's, uh, really unfortunate for a guy like Devin Ford who hasn't played, who was kind of thrust into that role because of, uh, of an injury. But, uh, I mean, that's something you gotta, you gotta have all your guys on the same page. And, and clearly they were not. James Franklin, uh, uh, said really the only thing you can attribute to this particular game. Uh, isolated game into why there were some issues. He did mention losing his top two running backs and maybe the awareness there. And everyone was very careful discussing this situation with Devin Ford. No one wants to throw the kid under the bus. Pat Fryermuth said he told Devin to stay away from social media. I think that's probably a good idea. And, you know, you could, it was almost like when a, when an offensive lineman gets, gets caught on a false start penalty and they look back at the rest of their huddle and they're kind of like, shit guys, I'm sorry. Devin Ford looked back to the Penn State sideline and to his teammates, and you've never seen anyone so embarrassed or devastated to do something that, by all accounts, naturally, in every game Devin Ford has played and every time he has touched the football on a field, is something to accomplish and celebrate. And, you know, the experience isn't there uh, for him. He, he played uh, a bit in, uh, last year and, and primarily in the first stages of the season. Uh, Noah Kane, Journey Brown, does that happen? We don't know. Uh, but this was something that wasn't like left to Devin Ford to figure out on his own. Franklin says this is something that they have practiced this week, in fact, this situation, something that they went over on the sideline before they went on the field for this situation. Um, and yet th that's the result. And and you end up giving the ball back to uh, back to Indiana with eight, eight, what, a minute and 20 seconds to go. Uh, a bit more than that. I'm, I'm sorry. A minute, minute 40, 42, minute yeah. 42 uh, to go in the game. And, and it's just what else gets lost here is you said, OK, Penn State's got to make a defensive stand now. They made that defining defensive stand. Shaka Tony rose up, a couple sacks, a pressure. The dicey moment, you thought that Penn State weathered the storm here because Lamont Wade, that targeting's review, they call it a clean hit. It was a clean hit, but you're never sure with targeting anymore, ever. So I was almost anticipating them to come out, throw a flag, and, and, and send Lamont Wade out of the game, which happened to Jesse Luqueta early on. Didn't happen, and to me, I was like, this defense dodged the bullet. 
and, and they're going to survive this thing. And they had to go back on the football field, do it again. And Michael Penix all of a sudden learned how to connect with his receiver, something he couldn't do uh, for the preceding 58 and a half minutes of action. Yeah, he flipped a switch, and it was it was pretty remarkable to see how how much more accurate he was. And of course, as I said earlier, aided by that uh, Adisa Isaac face mask penalty that uh, you know probably should have gone uncalled. But uh, no, it was it was pretty pretty remarkable to see that. I, I don't want to call it a brain fart. Like you said, it's natural for him to run into that end zone to see. I will I will say this to see Indiana players celebrate as he crossed that line. There's a photo was, with your story that you wrote about Penn State's miscues up on the site right now, and the lead photo is Devin Ford looking like he you know he like he just screwed up with the football in his hands in the end zone, and there's an Indiana player with his arms up celebrating a Penn State touchdown, and that encapsulates exactly the bizarre nature of how this played out. You don't see that one every day, but uh, yeah, that's that's just that that can't happen. That's uh, that's a communication error, um, an awareness error. I think that uh, you know you you got to pin that on you know unfortunately pin it on Devin Ford, but you also have to pin that on the coaching staff because that's got to be hammered home. Uh, got to be aware. I mean, you you don't exactly you know plan for other teams trying to let you score, but you have to be aware of it. You have to be able to to handle that situation when it comes if you know that it's not going to be coming out in the best interest of your team. So that's, uh, that's a tough lesson to learn. Um, unfortunately, they were not able to get out unscathed. So uh, Penn State went up 28-21, or excuse me, 28-20. Indiana comes right back. And and honestly, it's it was kind of what you expected based on watching this Penn State defense the last couple it of years. It was looming, when, wasn't it? It was, it was, because you're you're asking those guys to step back and keep those things in front of you, which they do. But you're also giving up chunks of yardage to the sidelines. You're giving up, you know, quite a bit. So that was um, unfortunately not surprising, and that's really what we've grown accustomed to. Um, defensive line got pressure for the most part all night, and they they got to Michael Penix. That was something that was one of our keys to the game is is to hit him and. He wasn't particularly accurate. I mean, there was a couple throws that, you know, he'd like to have back. There were a couple throws that his receivers would like to have back, but the numbers weren't that great. And, he, you know, he really turned it on to at the end to his credit. Now, just going back all the way to the start, I mean, Penn State opens the game. Kirk Shiraka's first series, I mean, is it scripted, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, but great return and excellent drive. Uh, stalled a little bit in the red zone, but they, they finished it off with a fourth uh, fourth down pop pass to Pat Fryermuth for the first score. Um, and, and there's a, there's another one. He, he set a school record today for, uh, t- touchdown catches by a tight end. No one asked and about it today after the game. Nobody, no one asked. I, mean, I think I asked him three questions. It didn't come up. Nobody's really worried about it, but 13 plays, 64 yards, 701, uh, you know, looked pretty darn good to me. Very efficient. Um, in that process, you really didn't know it at the time, but they lost Noah Kane and that would be, go on to be a big deal. Um, he went to the locker room, came back on crutches, favoring his left leg. Um, you know, when you come back on crutches, that, that, that doesn't really lend well for the next couple of weeks or whatever. He was replaced by Devin Ford, who we've obviously already talked about. Devin Ford was. On and off. He looked like a complimentary back is what he looked like. And, you know, w- when you go from Journey Brown and Noah Kane, that one-two punch, now you don't have those guys. I mean, as as talented as that room is, or as talented as we think that room is, he's still the third string guy. So that's what you got with Devin Ford. Um, and I, but, but, I mean, you like the start. You love the start. I mean, Sean Clifford was efficient. He made a great throw on the run to Jahan Dotson. Uh, defensively, you turn around, three and out. Uh, Joey Porter – 
had a massive sack off the corner. You saw some different blitzes and, and things like that. And you got a little bit excited and you thought maybe, is is this going to be a blowout? I mean, we've all talked about close games, but is was this going to be a blowout? It was It was everything stacking up. It was your your star rising up and Pat Fryermuth scoring that touchdown and, and, and setting that school record. And what a way to, to start it out there. And then you, you complete your first defensive stand with Joey Porter Jr., this this ascending star on your roster, showing exactly you know what he can do. And by the way, I thought over the course of this game in his first first game as a starter, we saw why there is so much excitement about Joey Porter Jr. this year. But you know, Noah Kane, I mentioned this on on the the preview podcast for this for this game. I honestly thought going into the season, you know, this was a big reason why I I, I felt comfortable in my pick. I thought they'd be able to lean on Noah Kane, and I really thought he would have a shot to to maybe lead this conference in rushing yards. And and it just eerily reminiscent, Sean of. What happened to him last time he stepped into the starting role? Last year at Michigan State, almost a year exactly to the day. It was the, the end of October. Uh, he he, you know, A lot of buzz about him. First series of Michigan State. Gets the ball, I think, three out of the first four plays, something like that. The exact same scenario happens here. He had three carries in the first four Penn State plays. And then that's it. We didn't see him for the rest of November. He didn't resurface until the Cotton Bowl. You hope it's a shorter wait this time around. But as you said, you come out of the field on crutches and you know sitting on the bench. We got a boot on. It's it's not a good combination, and it looks like you're going to have to lean on Devin Ford and and, and Kevon Lee and Kaziah Holmes. And I thought out of those two, by the way, maybe out of all three as a runner, uh, Kevon Lee flashed today. Uh, and we'll talk about that more on Tuesday and, and see where this personnel is going. Maybe get an update on, on where Noah Kane is. Um, but I. You know, to ask no to ask Devin Ford to handle the football 24 times three as a rec- three times as a receiver 20 times a, a, as a ball carrier and then another time as a kickoff return man that's a lot to throw this kid's way and I, I'm high on Devin Ford I think he's got a long way to I think he's got a, a long uh, playing career ahead of him but at the same time he is the 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 lightest of this group uh, physically I think he has some developing to do and also it's just been a long time since he was asked to be a bell cow back I mean you can really go back to almost his junior year in high school till last time where he was asked to carry the football that many times in a game and, and here you are on the road in a Big Ten matchup and all of a sudden Sean Clifford didn't we say his jersey was going to be a lot cleaner this year it was not the case this afternoon yeah we saw we had a limited sample size with Kane obviously but you got an idea of what they were trying to do and they had some success doing it right off the and bat and Sean sorry they Kane's also- perfect for a lot of what they failed at today the Will Levis situation bringing him at the goal line some of those short yardage spots where, where Sean Clifford's the one who ends up trying to pick it up or, or Devin Ford gets shut down that's Kane's MO he may not be the 30 40 uh, big gainer guy but he's going to get those two, three, four, and pretty consistently and fall forward. And it just, that was lacking. I thought, aside from Kevon Lee, the power element of, of this backfield was lacking. I agree with you whole, wholeheartedly there. Uh, also, I think I think Kevon Lee looked pretty good uh, in the, the limited time that we saw him. Um, but that's the next thing I had was the short yardage situations were not great. Uh, Ford's obviously not a short yardage back. The Levis stuff. Disaster. Just- you it know, was a disaster. Was a today. disaster. I mean, it was. Uh, you come in, you get a delay of game penalty, and then you get a fumble. It's not exactly what you're looking for from that package. I don't think it's dead yet because mm-hmm. I'd like to see them actually run a play. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and you saw you know, they. You see him and Franklin exchanging some words on, on. You know, watching from the TV is not usually the vantage point for us, but you know, seeing it on television play out that way. James Franklin seemed to have had s- several words for him after that delay of game, and then afterwards, Will Levis kind of threw his hands up like he was frustrated or felt like he he didn't have the right information, but. 
I mean, to get that delay a game and then to have that situation play out the way it did at the goal line, you know, where, where it looked like it looked like the ball was with Ford, and then all of a sudden Levis is, is fumbling around back there. Uh, I mean, just to, just brutal to leave points in three. And we'll talk about Clifford's interceptions too. Three first half turnovers for a program that last year, what was it, six, 17 total turnovers in 13 games? They had three before halftime in the opener. It's really been amazing the last couple of years. They've taken care of the football. They've not had penalties and they've had big chunk plays. That's what they sort of build their identity around. And today, uh, 10 penalties for 100 yards. That's not going to help anybody. Three first half turnovers. Um, you know, you kind of got lucky getting the ball back at the end of the first half, but didn't turn anything into that. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that first half, man, it was just anything that could go wrong went wrong. I mean, you've even you've even got Pat Fryermuth dropping passes. That doesn't happen. So, um, Sean, you know, fourteen turnovers last year in thirteen games. I just checked that fourteen turnovers in thirteen games. Three in the first half today. They're on pace to crush that number in eight games. So yes, that's not uh, that is not ideal. But just everything going wrong in the first half, and and really, um, you know, Sean Clifford. The story that we talked about all offseason was, is he a guy that can take you to that next level? And there were times when he was good today that, that there were times, you know, he was seven of eight before his first interception, but then he lofted a screen pass to nowhere and that got picked off. And that's just, you know, it, it, we've seen that in the past from him before. Sometimes he likes to try, you know, he liked to trust KJ last year, like to trust Pat, just throw it up, go make a play. And that's fine, but you know you do that on a screen pass, and the the odds are it's not going to turn out well for you. So you're thinking maybe you just get that out of your system, whatever. Five passes later, he sails one for another pick. Um, I, you know, it's just, it just doesn't seem to be a ton of confidence in what he's able to do. You know, just sort of I don't want to say uh, you know maxed out or anything like that, but like how far can he take you? And he's showing you that you know in this game. He's going to take you further with his legs than he is with his arm. And I don't know that's that's ideally where you want to be in this offense and moving toward the college football playoff. The one that that, that really got me, and, and it, those interceptions were bad, don't get me wrong, uh, but a couple plays before that second interception, he's – you know, in the pocket and he, you know, he's got a little bit of happy feet that hasn't gone away, but at the same time, I mean, he's, he's in the pocket, scrambles out to his left and that's an easy throwaway. I mean, that to me, you know, you, you throw the ball out of bounds, you live for another day. He takes a hit, you know, he, I don't know if he got, even know if he got back to the line of scrimmage, but like, you know, this, that there's sometimes you got to bail and sometimes you have to have the awareness of, you know, it's all right to throw the ball away or whatever. So, um, you know, you just keep seeing these issues and, and you were hoping Kirk Sharaka could wave his magic wand and, and turn him into Tanner Morgan, who actually didn't look all that great tonight for Minnesota, but that's beside the point. Um, but Clifford's still answering the pocket. He's still locking on receivers, running around and, you know, instead of throwing it away, 24 35 for 238 and three touchdowns is fine, but you can't have those two interceptions, especially, you know, the way that they came. The concerning thing was early on, you're thinking, wow, you know, this is kind of this. I don't see any progress here with, with Kirk Sharaka and, and I don't see Sean Clifford taking that step. And, and the first drive was nice. Sure. But it, it looks kind of lost in translation right now, the rest of the way. And then toward the end, what was more alarming to me was how much Penn State seemed to lean on Sean Clifford as everything for them. That's not who he is to me. I felt like 
this is a program that was going to be able to run the ball with effectiveness. And, and yes, they are without Journey Brown and Noah Kane. We have to keep that in mind. And, and I know they have a, a talented young stable of running backs, but they are young and they are unproven. But I think that's what stood out to me. I, Sean Clifford was your end-all, be-all. It felt a little bit like Trace McSorley during stages of that 28th season where you needed Trace to go squeeze every ounce of everything out of him. And that touchdown run that Sean had, that's exactly what he did. And too often it felt like he was the guy just creating. And a lot of times it felt like that wasn't necessarily attached to the play call. And I guess, you know, you just spent a lot of time watching Kirk Shiraka dial things up against Indiana. And, and you look at the final numbers you mentioned, they look pretty good for Cliff. 488 total yards for Penn State. Uh, you've got 27 first downs versus 16 for Indiana. 9 of 17 on third down. You know, averaging uh, you're averaging almost 10 yards per completion. But did you, over the course of this game, come away and say, wow, they went and scooped this guy up from Minnesota, brought him down to Dallas at the Cotton Bowl, a lot of fanfare, nice paycheck. Did you see that pay dividends today? <laughs> I did on the first drive. I was really impressed with the first drive, um, whether that's scripted. And, and is that an issue going forward where you have to, you know, Lay this out for some guys. You saw some unbalanced stuff. You saw some different personnel groups. Um, you know, you saw some little things. And I'm, I'm going to dive into the tape, you know, later uh, or, or early next week. But I mean, it's uh, yeah, it was tough to see sort of the same thing over and over again. And and what w- the things that we expected coming into the season, like uh, taking away the quarterback run, you know, keeping Sean Clifford upright, sort of kind of went away with the game flow and that's you know he was the the touchdown run was phenomenal I thought it was a, a really great individual effort by Sean Clifford uh, but at the same time you'd like to keep that guy sort of healthy I guess and then you you would like to uh, I guess see a little bit of progress with your own offense we saw a lot of you know basically I was asked tonight is that the same offense? And that's looked way not a good too familiar to <laughs> at a lot of key <laughs> yeah. spots of this game. It's like I've seen this before. I thought we were watching a different movie this time around, and and it didn't really look like what we saw from Minnesota no. last year either. So that's um, you know that's questions that the blend that, that might the come blend up really. Yeah. I mean, we kept hearing the blending of these offenses, and I saw a lot of 2019 in that blend tonight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's where Penn State was in the first half. Nothing right. Uh, missed the field goal at the end. Uh, Jake Pinnegar, who missed two field that goals tonight. That was bizarre, man. I mean, we talk about how crazy the end of the game was, and we will continue to do that. But that last final juncture of, of this game where uh, Will Levis bobbles it and fumbles it, and Indiana gets it, and you think, okay, Indiana's going to be happy to take a knee on this one, get to the locker room with the lead. Nope. Two carries later, Lamont Wade gets the ball. The review gives them the ball with two seconds to go. And a chip shot for the guy who missed one field goal for you last year, clunk. And it's just like, okay, we're going to halftime now. Yeah, and they had some super, super uh, sensitive mics in that in that upright because that thing was loud. But uh, yeah, you go to you go seventeen to seven to halftime, and and you've played this game before against Indiana. This is kind of the game that you play every time you play Indiana. Is and, and going back to our original point with that review, if that review is turned over at the end of the game, you just chalk it up to being Indiana football. I mean, that's kind of their identity, what Indiana football has been. And that's just, uh, that's one of those surprises. So 17 to seven, Indiana at that point at halftime, 87 total yards. Uh, so your defense is 
you know, doing pretty good despite the 17 points. Give him some short fields. You give him, you know, uh, some points. A four-yard uh, touchdown drive is all they needed because of that one Sean Clifford interception. Stevie Scott had 20 carries for 57 yards today. I thought they did a nice job. One of those carries was for 15 yards, so 19 carries for, for, for 42 on the other. That's well done against a guy like Stevie Scott, but he has those two touchdowns, and one of them, you know, you're not going to find an easier drive for Indiana this year because that interception from Sean Clifford, you know, inside your own 25, that was brutal, and 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 that buries you, and you know that that eliminates a lot of the opportunity to escape the mistakes they la- they made later that ultimately cost them the ability to win this football game. I think we're going to take a quick break and come back with some final thoughts, come back with some other, uh, you know, the odds and ends about the game, but uh, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, the conversation continues after the craziness that transpired out in Bloomington, Indiana on Saturday. And we, we dive back into it here, start of the second half. And, and the defense is, is going to be hung out to dry here at the end of the day because they, they didn't come up with the stops they needed to. And even when they did, it wasn't ruled that way. But you look at the way they put this game together, and, and you know, they they allowed. Oh, I should put a caveat here. Michael Penix missed on a lot, on a few passes that really could have blown uh, this lead up a little bit for for uh, Indiana along the way. Guys were tripping. I know in one instance it was Jair Brown, another Lamont Wade, and Penix missed badly. Again, he was not impressive at all today until he really needed to be at the very end of this matchup. But overall, the defense gave you what you needed to to kind of stay the course despite the three first half turnovers and and the missed field goals they still had a chance to, to you know when you were able to develop some sparks later and Sean Clifford did that because of the way the defense handled Indiana they took the lead later i yeah they got that stop um you know they got uh Shakatoni coming off the end i thought the pass rush was fine you know you'd like to get to Michael Penix a little bit more um you know before he gets rid of the ball but you hit him you knocked him out of his rhythm for some, you know, some portion of the game. So I think he did your job. I thought the defensive tackles were fine. I, I have no idea what the alignment was for the, uh, the one Stevie Scott touchdown where Antonio Shelton's, I don't know, playing slot corner or something like that. Uh, but it was just, uh, it was, uh, it was not pretty. Um, but no, I thought the defensive line was fine. I think the linebackers, um, you know, when you take Luketta out of it, 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 it changed some things. But at the same time, I was, I found myself keeping, uh, I, I found myself finding Lance Dixon on the screen and being kind of impressed with what he was able to do, especially because we heard, you know, he had a ways to go, uh, you know, after last season in learning linebacker. So, I mean, defensively, it's it just, it's the same thing. You just, Feel that situation out where they have to go the length of the field and they have to pass, and you just feel like Penn State's going to give up those yards, and that's the that's got to be pretty deflating, um, you know, if you're sitting there and you kind of see it coming, and that's uh, I think that's the issue that that I keep seeing, uh, you know, you keep stuff in front of you, you don't get beat, beat by the big play, but at the same time, I mean, there's just it, it's just the same sort of deja vu feeling. 
Uh, that linebacker group, one thing stands out to me. Am I am I reading this right? Because, again, we, these post-game shows were kind of scrambling for information. Did Brandon Smith not register a statistic in this game? It's very possible because I, I, I mean, because I was going to say that's one guy who yeah, we said who's going to flash. You need someone to flash. You can't be saying Micah would have made that play all season long. I didn't find myself necessarily saying that or thinking it over the course of the game over and over and again. But I was wondering if someone was going to rise up and, and be that difference maker. I mean, if if this is incorrect, this is the stats, you know, the official game stats. I'm not seeing Brandon Smith show up in any regard in the defensive box score. And that is that's pretty alarming considering the pedigree there and what we've heard about his development from the Penn State staff. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, it, it was interesting because uh, we talked about the two linebacker sets. And I think you just assume that Brandon Smith, because of his uh, athletic ability, because of his length would have been out there. But it seemed that they kept Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucchetta in maybe a little bit more experience. I'm not sure the, the, the reasoning behind the decision. But, you know, you take Brandon Smith off and then, of course, Lucchetta gets the targeting. Um, by the way, uh, Ellis Brooks lo- kind of lucky to avoid targeting at the end of the first half on that forced fumble. Um, but, uh, you know, you take Lucchetta out of it and you, you throw Dixon in there. And like I said, I, I was kind of impressed with what Dixon was able to do. I'm looking forward to taking another look and seeing if he was as good as I thought he was. But, you know, he was he was around the football. He looked to be moving pretty well. It didn't look to be uh, he didn't look to be held back or anything like that, but, um, actually looking here and he didn't re- record a stat either, but it just seemed like he was around the ball. So, uh, we'll, I think these, <laughs> these stats end up getting official. Um, the, the ones that we get right after the game, not always great, but Shaka Tony leading the defense with seven yeah. tackles two you know, two sacks and, Joey Porter had a sack, and Ellis Brooks had a tackle for loss. Brisker had a tackle away, for loss. Away did not have a sack, but Away was making an impact. I mean, he was. I don't know how many pressures. I, I think I counted at least a, a three quarterback hurries there. I don't think you're seeing that in the stat box, but he was he was in Penix's face repeatedly toward the end, and and I feel like it was kind of a late bloom with the with the pass rush. You really didn't see it as as kind of a, a crux of what they were doing defensively over the course of this game. But really, when they needed to come up with those stops, you saw that pressure off the edge. Isaac got involved. There was a penalty there. But Tony, of course, rises up in a big way. I thought away did the same. But they're going to need more playmakers to show up in that front seven. Um, and and I think that linebacker group here without Jesse Lucchetta, um, I too thought Lance Dixon popped occasionally. I also thought he got... Uh, kind of posterized a bit by Stevie Scott, but that's a tough situation to be in at the goal line like that as a defensive player. Um, but yeah, th- th- it's 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 glaring, I guess. We're so used to seeing an All-American out there, and, and for that guy not to be there, maybe that's just kind of what my mind is is doing to me right now. But I also think that the some of the, the buzz that we thought might be there for, for a couple of these guys um, in the defensive front seven just did not show up in this opener. So we're going to cl- close with positives and negatives. What's good? Uh, I got here, the, the resilience was good. And I know that that's kind of a a, ment- a moral victory or any, or something like that. Um, but you come back, you take the lead, you you all, for all intents and purposes, should win that game and, and it goes away. But, you know, I, I've been, hard, I've been harder on Sean Clifford than most. I thought he did a nice job turning things around, threw some nice balls at the end. Threw a really, really nice one to Jahan Dotson for the touchdown that put Penn State ahead 21-20. I thought Dotson looked really good. I thought he was, you know, by far Penn State's best receiver. And I don't think the receivers were, uh, uh, you know, uh, the liability that they've been in past years. Um, now, I, w- I want to take another look because it also seemed like at times they weren't, you know, getting open, uh, which is st- something you should probably do as a receiver. But, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that I saw um, in terms of the receivers – 
Uh, saw some nice routes on some replays. Saw some good blocking downfield, specifically Daniel George. And you know, I, I think there's there's something to like there. Um, you know, uh, Parker Washington, you know, didn't have a huge impact on the game, but made a really nice uh, play for the touchdown in overtime. Also on that slant where he just got mauled, and I it was good defense. I mean, the guy was all over him in the, in in the best sense of the word. But I thought he ran a really nice route, got himself in a position to to be open, drew a penalty later in the game down the field. That was the, big time, and that, that was, was a hell of a ball by Cliff. I mean, that, that one was that was laid there, and it was in his hands, and 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 he was certainly interfered with. But I thought that was reflective of Parker Washington, of Sean Clifford, and also the trust in place already between those two, which we would see in overtime later. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I thought Washington didn't put up the stat line, but I thought he he had an impact on the game. That was good. He should have had one. I think in the first half when he was running downfield and he just got kind of jacked up and uh but uh no i thought Keon, that, keandre showed that slippery uh that slippery aspect that he brings out there there was one play where where it's kind of like how did he stay up there and gain those extra yards no we didn't see that was cam sullivan brown i mean that didn't. was that yeah. was something that we both took note of in the starting lineup a guy who's in his fourth year on campus i thought daniel george he had he had a, a, a glaring drop at one point in this game i believe it was on third down that's a problem. But Daniel George, I think, took a step forward in his career today with the overall effectiveness as a blocker and as a receiver in this game. He had a tough one along the sidelines. Didn't get to see Cam Sullivan Brown do that. Well, we didn't see Cam Sullivan Brown at all. He's not on the participation report. Mark said he was there. Um, that's, I think, the best we've got on that. Um, so I'm going to guess if he was there and did not play at all, you know, you'd think he would at least rotate in or something like that. There's got to be a story behind that one. So I don't know what the, I don't know what the deal is with Cam Sullivan Brown, but I was, you know, you, you, in a game like this, and I think I tweeted this out, you, you want to give Sean Clifford some easy throws to get a little bit more comfortable, especially after those interceptions. I think Cam Brown could really fit into that mix in terms of giving him a target that he could work with, that he's familiar with, that you can, you know, run those shorter routes and, and get Clifford a little bit more comfortable. But, you know, all in all, just, just, first sort of uh gut instinct on watching the receivers you know i think they they did a little bit better today i don't i don't have a problem with them defensively we already talked about this guy but joey porter i thought he looked good um it's it's very interesting because you break down penn state's defense and you saw what happened at the end but i thought the corners played really well i thought three castro fields played well um you know i think that that's something communication back there is seems still to still be an issue and there's 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 other things but i thought porter looked fine i thought marquise wilson was out there playing didn't see a lot of keaton ellis um da- daquan hardy was out there um on the last drive oh, of the game a, a lot of jr jr brown a lot of jr brown today yeah we saw a lot of him and seemed to be more of those first three safeties i know sutherland was in there but seemed to be more of those first three safeties including jr brown so We'll see uh, what kind of progress he makes. The junior college transfer from Lackawanna. Uh, I mentioned Lance Dixon a little bit. Uh, you know, I thought he responded well. Didn't see as much as Brandon Smith as we thought. And also uh, Kevon Lee. You know, we you mentioned him a little bit earlier. I thought he was. I thought he looked good. I thought he looked uh, solid. I thought he looked confident. I thought he looked like uh, a guy that would could be a, a physical chain mover for Penn State if they need him. And unfortunately for them, it looks like they're going to need him because you've got your two 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 top backs on the shelf, and suddenly that room that you know was was so talented and so deep is is in a completely different position. 
there's only so many times we can say, but it's still so talented and still so deep. If you keep losing guys at the top, and 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 you're right, I thought you know Kevon Lee was was a pleasant, uh, not I don't want to say surprise because we heard good things about him, but I, I, he was quite effective today, and and you know comparatively, I thought he stood out as a guy between the tackles and and, and embracing that contact and fighting through it. Um, and they, upright, and they went upright runner. Was, I mean, he, I didn't realize how much of a uh, you know he, this is a guy who stays upright. He's nothing small about him. I think Noah K makes himself so little. Uh, and when we watch him run so compact and, and Kevon Lee's just all six foot two thirty of him just fee five fo fum down the field. And it's funny because he actually he looks smaller than that. You know, just kind of like you, you throw a he six looks foot slimmer. He looks slim yeah, we'll go we'll go slimmer. That works. Um, <laughs> you throw six foot two thirty out there and you expect the big back, but it looks like he's got plenty of room to fill out. So um that was good. And and Penn State really leaned heavy on that inside zone. Um, you know, whether that was really successful or not. It's uh that's the way that they went with that. And I think Kevon Lee fits that pretty well. Didn't it just feel like there was there were far too many plays that ended with Sean Clifford either losing a yard or two or gaining a yard or two? It, that is what kind of felt like too familiar. It just like it, where a play ends up with one of the uh, kind of just uh, a nothing, your second and eight or a second and twelve because of a play like that. That was surprising, and also to see this team entering desperation mode a little bit in the third quarter. They weren't quite there yet, but it felt like, hey, you got to get something going. Down seventeen to seven. Who was Sean Clifford leaning on? Well, he was leaning on himself as a runner, leaning on Kevon Lee in his first career college game. And it felt like he was, uh, during that one possession as well, a couple targets to, to Keandre Lambert-Smith. And I just never felt like this group was comfortable. And that just so juxtaposes what we heard leading up where all these Zoom meetings and all the extra preseason preparation, despite the lack of spring practice, don't worry about it. Kirk's on the same page with the quarterbacks, vice versa. This thing's going to come out. You're going to see poetry in motion. Now, we all didn't think it was going to be uh, a perfect performance from the offense, um, but I, I think it just fell fi- fall short of expectations, and and you, you have to lean on an improvised, r- ridiculous 34-yard scramble from Sean Clifford, and, and what a run that was for him. And then one where he throws the bomb to Jahan Dotson, a great play, a 60-yard play. But it, it, there was not a lot of, out, outside of that first possession just not a lot of pretty sustained drives and that's kind of what you would thought you would get you thought you'd get kind of that surgical approach from this Penn State offense based on what we anticipated and to me it was more of a disarray and and just kind of an uncomfortable nature to it part of that was the the lack of personnel in this particular game uh, but part of it was was clearly the preparation for the matchup against the Indiana Hoosiers. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it, it felt like a non-conference game. You, you and I were talking beforehand. It felt kind of like Buffalo last year. That's exactly get, what it felt like. You got to get your feet under you. You've got to do all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, with all conference schedule, you don't get a chance to do that. And and, and it just doesn't work out well for anybody. So, um, you know, you expected some lapses. You maybe expected some some sort of communication errors between the booth and and the quarterback or whatever and maybe we saw those maybe we not or maybe we didn't um but uh yeah it's what we saw was not great uh we'll move on to the low points now because that's kind of where we've been harping the entire time we were there yeah yeah, okay so um i still got to get the transition in but uh yeah i mean to me starts with the quarterback uh clifford while he made some nice plays and and really had a nice effort down the stretch you can't have those lapses i mean we're we're grading uh, Sean Clifford and, you know, for this team, for the most part on a playoff scale, and it's clear they're, they're not there, especially after week one. Um, but yeah, you can't have those kind of throws and expect to, uh, to push past, you know, we'll call Indiana a good team or, you know, an average above average team. You can't do that on the road in the big 10. 
I mean, you call Indiana a fringe top 25 team last year. Maybe they're right there this year. They brought back a lot of those same pieces. And, and they're right now tonight, they're at a high point for their program. So, uh, you know, th- this is not a slouch program. It's not Buffalo. And that's the problem. I feel like it was a lot of the same deal we saw last year in a game like Buffalo. That one was in prime time. So it was under the lights of Beaver Stadium. It felt even more glaring that Penn State didn't have its act together. But they hit the Jets eventually, and, and the talent was there, and, and they just they, they looked crisp by the end of the process. Just never saw it today. And, and, and you know, Clifford, I, I saw people on Twitter very quickly and responding to one of your tweets as well. Bench the guy. Time to move on. He's not the guy. Who's the guy then? If, if you want to move on from Clifford, what's your solution? Because I'm not sold on Will Levis. And I think anyone who saw him, uh, you know, throwing the ball around last year, you know, based on what we saw today, that didn't help his case. I don't know what he looks like on the practice field. And they're just not that... You know, that five-star blue chip level recruit that you have waiting on the bench that everyone's kind of clamoring for and 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 you're kind of like just, you know, give Clifford some more time, but this kid's breathing down his neck. All due respect to Taquan Robertson, uh, uh, Roberson and, and Micah Bowens, they're not that guy. And Penn State doesn't have that guy. Um, and maybe Christian Veyu can be that guy down the road, but they have not recruited to that level. They have gotten guys on board. They have lost them over the course of getting to signing day. Um, and that's just the reality right now. I guess that's kind of my response. I, I, I'm not going to say that Sean Clifford uh, looked great today by any stretch of the imagination, but he carried them at times, which was stunning to see. Uh, and I just don't see anyone below him on that depth chart that you see would really come in and, and be a definitive upgrade unless Kirk Sharaka really has fallen in love uh, with someone on the practice field during these last couple of months. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting campaign because, of course, you know, he gets that extra year. So, I mean, <laughs> this could be the next three years. So, I, I I don't know. That's just kind of speculating, spitballing and going from there. Um, it's but possible. Yeah, he's got to be better. I mean, this is fact. Frankly, um, you know, is it is it fair to, to grade him above everyone else? I mean, that's that's kind of part of what it being a quarterback is about. So we will see how he responds. Uh, good leader. I mean, obviously, he showed some some really good stuff in, in the leadership category today. But you want to you know get to get to where you're going on leadership and more. So we'll see what happens. The Kirk Sharaka Kirk Sharaka is known as a brutally honest guy. Like uh, Pat Fryermuth said, even when he's complimenting you on the practice field, you feel like he's kind of criticizing you. This is his first chance. He said, I've never coached any of these guys in a game. I got to get to that point. I got to get to that point. Well, between Levis and in, in a couple snaps and Clifford over the course of this game, He's got a lot of work to do this week, and and this, you're paying this guy a lot of money. He's he's got the track record. Let's see what he can do in a week two. And that team that's coming into Beaver Stadium in week two, that's uh that's no slouch. That is no slouch indeed. Uh, but yeah, going back, I guess turning the page from Sean Clifford because we talked about him enough. I think where's he going to go with the ball to get big plays? And that's that's the other thing that you know was a low point. You you kind of thought, you know, Dotson had the the big touchdown there at the end. Fryermuth is a guy that, you know, has been obviously consistent, seven for 60 and a touchdown today. Uh, so another good day. Uh, but in terms of those game breakers, uh, you know, Journey was the guy that you thought would be offensively the guy that could do that for you. KJ did it last year for you. Um where are those big plays going to come from? I saw you saw them go down the field to dots and they went down the field to Washington. It looked like it almost looked like that uh, Shiraka wanted to take a few more shots than he took today. And that's just kind of the opinion when you take a look at some of the play calls and situations. Um, it, it just wasn't there. So I'm curious who's going to be that guy that takes it on his shoulders and makes the big play. And right now, I don't know that we have an answer for that. 
No. Um, I, I think eventually, I think it's a little much to say he's there now. I think Andre Lambert Smith can be that kind of guy for you. But I mean, it's, it's, it's no secret. Journey Brown and KJ Hamler, two of the more electric players, not just in the Big Ten, but by the end of last season in all of college football, you knew you lost KJ. We didn't know Journey was out of the equation until, what, six, seven days ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even Noah Kane, when available, is not necessarily that component. But I think he's kind of he is kind of your base. Like he's the offensive foundation is a guy like 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 Noah Kane. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned at all. You do have it down here. I'm sorry. Um, offensive line. Do we come away from this thinking about them any differently? And And I know a lot of people are saying. Yet again, an offseason where we heard this offensive line was going to take a bunch of steps forward and uh, you know, didn't quite see it come to fruition. I think we have to grade on a curve because you lose Noah Kane and you already lost Journey Brown, so maybe the rush- running game is not going to be as crisp. just felt like there was not a lot of time uh, and space for guys to exploit coming out of that backfield. Time seemed okay. Uh, space was a little bit hard to come by, especially in the short yardage stuff as they went to that inside zone. Thought the pocket was better. I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem I do agree with, you, yes. with the offensive line today. I want to take a look closer look, and I'm sure we'll find some stuff in the running game. I don't think Rasheed Walker played his best game today. Um, Two false starts couple of false for that starts. penalty issue. Yeah, so... Um, Caden Wallace, by the way, six. we saw the six offensive line personnel. They were calling it the big boy package or something and, uh, uh, during that first drive. I don't know if we saw that really resurface much, but Caden Wallace planted there in between C.J. Thorpe at right guard and uh, and Will Fries at right tackle. That was something that we saw immediately in this game. Yeah, so that's uh, – I mean, that's – you can you can take some positives from the offensive line, but they, they certainly need to be better. I think we, we certainly expected better. Uh, again, pass protection was fine. I, I think more of an issue with pass protection is Sean Clifford – you know, getting those happy feet and getting out of there. And I think, I don't know if that's a internal clock thing or whatever, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that remains to be seen. But as all offensive line goes, you have to check the tape to sort of double check to see what to, if you, if you actually saw what you think you saw, cause it's, it's oftentimes very different uh, special teams. Uh, I, I don't know, man, that was uh, as, as great as they were last year under Joe Lorig, you're over three on field goals. Granted one's a 57 yarder into the wind that, I thought was in and then, you know, they showed the replay. It was not far off. So Stout got a bunch of it. I don't know if he got all of it, but he got a bunch of it. But uh, Pinnegar's field goal right before the half. I mean, you thought 17-10 going in the half, you're feeling pretty good about yourself in terms of everything that is the avalanche of everything that went wrong. Then he puts one off the upright and then he misses another one later. Uh, he, I think he missed, what, one or two field goals all, all season last year. Now he's 0 for 2 for the year. Special teams, you had the fumble that, uh, you know, caused a 14-minute review or whatever it was with the kid laying out of bounds. Um, you know, Drew, Drew Hartlob ran into uh, a block, excuse me, ran into a return man, even though he's probably blocked into them, but still happened. So just these things in the return game and these things in the special teams, you just, you got used to not seeing over that one year with Joe Lorig, sort of took him for granted. Now all of a sudden they come back. There was an ugly situation that played out on a kickoff return where Lamont Wade had the the ball in his hands and that buried them back towards their own end zone. Interestingly enough, they started out the game with a pretty good kickoff return from Devin Ford. Um, But yeah, I mean, Jahan Dotson stumbling over Marquise Wilson and and they got lucky that Indiana, uh, that that defender had, I guess, a foot out of bounds before he was able to uh, touch the ball. You know, it was a kind of a fluky situation where Indiana was along the sideline. Otherwise, that's another turnover we're talking about. 
But this is another component of this program that that you thought this should be okay. This should, this is something you can probably not worry about going into the year, and can't take that for granted anymore because this kicking duo of Jake Pinniger and, and Jordan Stout, you know, a lot of lot of praise for this for these two and for the right reasons. They missed two combined last year, and, and not many college football programs uh, can can go beyond fifty yards and and have guys they can rely on. And it certainly seemed like they had a really uh, enviable situation. Not today, zero for three, more misses in this single game than they had all of last year combined in thirteen in thirteen contests. Yeah, that's uh, that's not and a great by the start way, for Joe Lord's unit. Did, yeah. Did you think Stout's kick was going through 57? I I thought it was going to just get over that bar. It looked it looked true in terms of accuracy and Jake Pinnaker, that was his issue today. He missed very badly wide left and also hit the left upright. Uh but uh, man, I, I saw that Stout after talking to Jordan a few days ago and him saying uh, he's good from 65 to 70. I, I thought he'd actually get a little bit more on it, but even though he didn't, I thought he got just enough, and turns out not 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 enough at all. Yeah, that was into a headwind, so <laughs> I, will, I will give him some slack. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, just thinking about that drive, you'd like to see a nice little quick out or something to give him a couple more yards, and if you get that, maybe you get the field goal. So I mean, that's, that's another all. that's another possession, Sean, and another opportunity for points that Penn State didn't capitalize. That Indiana gave them gift wrapped, and that's a, a, another reason why Indiana should not have been a position to win this game if Penn State is who we think they can be because Indiana talk about fumbling instead of taking a knee then Jake Pinnaker misses a, a really easy field goal by his standards and then on the kickoff with with, with you know less than 30 seconds to go they, they all Sean Clifford needs to do is scramble around pick up 10 yards or so and all of a sudden you're within Stout's field goal range those opportunities should not have existed and Penn State ranked top 10 in the country could not capitalize either time. Yeah. Well, actually, I thought it was a heck of a play by Daniel George. He got the ball. I think that was scary. He got the ball that kicked was- <laughs> right at him. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't think, I think that was an operator error by the kicker. But the still- kicker took heat, but it was almost like a, 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 gene, a happy mistake for, for Indiana because that was that was dicey and, and that was a good play by Georgia, right? Yeah. So Clifford gets the ball, or excuse me, Penn State gets the ball. Clifford gets a nine yard carry. They use their last timeout, which, you know, you, you obviously would like to see that in the back pocket with eight seconds left. There's not much you can do. I don't think a lot of people realize you can't spike the ball um, under three seconds. So that takes a lot out of that. But, you know, you still try and run the out route uh, with dots and they just ran them up the sideline, see if you can get it. And if it's not there, just throw it out. Um, so I, I, you just would have liked to have seen that um, sort of come together a little bit better. And it, it it's all hindsight talking here. I mean, let's be honest with you. If he hits a 57-yard field goal, you feel perfectly fine about it. But he came up just a couple yards. I, I don't even know if it was a couple yards short. I I seriously thought that was in. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just If he hits just that, short. it doesn't take us 55 minutes or whatever to get to that. This it podcast took, would that, have been That tells a, this, you a lot about this game is that we didn't get to that last sequence where Penn State gets this possession that they should have never had at midfield with 20 seconds to go. And you got Jordan Stout out there with his big leg ready to send you home to Happy Valley with a W in regulation. We didn't even get to that, Sean, until about 50 plus minutes into this podcast. I, I, I looked at my wife at one point, and uh, I think this was after the two-point conversion that sent it to overtime. I'm like, yeah, this game should have been over 15 minutes ago, <laughs> like legitimately over 15 yeah. minutes ago. And unfortunately, it was not. So, um, yeah, there's that. I, I don't know if I have anything else. Oh, um, one more quick thing here. Lamont Wade in man coverage um, struggled. I, I do think that, you know, he's there. He, he made some plays today, had the interception, had the fumble recovery, and that's fine. Uh, they Big certainly, hit. 
Yeah, he had a big hit. They certainly picked on him in man coverage. And I think that the thing that's, that stems from that is in your star package, in your nickel package, having a safety out there is one thing. I, I'm just curious in terms of what that's going to look like this week when, when those Ohio State receivers are out there running around. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and by the way, college game day, ready or not, coming to State College for this matchup against Ohio State in an empty Beaver Stadium. That'll be uh, on the focus next week with our podcast. We'll, we'll continue to kind of put together the pieces as best we can uh, from this matchup on our Tuesday episode. Um, and then it's going to be shifting focus to that Ohio State squad that that looked sort of pedestrian for like a quarter and a half and then turned on the Jets against Nebraska and, and all the Cornhusker fans uh regretted that they ever brought Big Ten football back to all of us. And at the end of the day, Sean, uh, this is still, well, people aren't going to agree with this maybe out there right now. It's still better than staring into the abyss, watching other conferences play football. I know this one stings, but you got another shot tomorrow. Well, yeah, you got another shot tomorrow, and then you got another shot next Saturday uh, when you resume your Big Ten play. But uh, I have no problem, and I completely understand if any Penn State fan out there today is ripping out their hair after what we saw take place on the field in Bloomington. You can hear us trying to talk our way through it here on the podcast, and and, and it's it's difficult for us to do. I get it. Sean, anything else to throw on the fire? No, I think you lit it, and you threw some gas on your own, and, and you did a heck of a job with that. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's an unfortunate return to football because we we waited so long for it, and then that's what we got. And that's you know, it's probably not fair to say it like that to the players and everybody, but uh, it's really just kind of a disappointing opening to the season. And and when you add to it that you know maybe Indiana isn't as good as I thought they were, that's that's concerning. And uh, you know, you still got a lot ahead of you on the schedule, um, but I mean we're we went from talking about being on that playoff precipice to you know where is this team as a ta- you know talent level where you know where is this sort of all over the board in the Big Ten and um, you, you got a quite a measuring stick coming to town next weekend. Eight games left on the Big Ten conference schedule. We don't know what lies ahead beyond that. We don't know the identity of that ninth and final game here in the Big Ten, but. It's 2020. We'll take the football as we can get it. We'll react accordingly here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. That's going to put this one in the books. Uh, A very unique podcast, the kind of conversation that that I don't think we've had through our time together, Sean, and and a game that I, quite frankly, have never covered one like this before, one that we won't forget anytime soon. And I'm sure the folks in Indiana, we're going to step away for now. We'll come back to you with with all the coverage at Lions247.com. There's a lot up there if you want to continue processing this loss. Um, If not, we'll talk to you next week. Give yourself a couple days. We'll be back Tuesday, uh, and we'll try to make sense of what lies ahead for these Nittany Lions. Uh, Have a great rest of your weekend, and thanks, as always, for joining us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.